here with uh, Tim uh, Winton, the author of a new book called The Turning. Tim has been shortlisted for the Booker twice, another very accomplished uh, author in our presence. We've just come back from a, a reading at the Harbour Front International Writers Festival, and you were reading with uh, Jonathan Coe. He was reading from his latest novel, a very sort of funny sequence about absent-minded fathers picking up uh, the wrong kids and wives using sex or the, the withholding of it to modify husband's behavior. In this case, the husband was swearing in front of the kids. So it was a fairly hard act to follow, I, I thought. And you came up and started reading something that was really quite a bit different from what he was doing. It was low-key... Australian sort of vernacular, a couple of teenage kids, uh, lads working at a meatpacking plant, and uh, th- I found that there was a lot of soothing detail of, of the landscape, lyrical, but with a lovely natural Australian dialogue. Normally, uh, these kinds of works put me to sleep, but there was something that, that you did that, that held attention really, really well, and it got the audience, I think, caught up in this lyricism. I wonder, can you tell me what you were doing? No. Um, I was just, I was just working my way into the story, really. I mean, as a, as a writer, you, you, that's what you're doing. You're just going, you're starting with something simple, in this case, and you just, uh, you just go deeper, and you, you find the layers, and you find the, the music in it, the, you know, the dissonance, and the and the, the kind of unresolved thing that, that draws you back, you know. And also, it's, you know, being able to say this as an observer after the fact, but, um, yeah, you find the, the counterpoint, you find, find all the, the kind of music in it. But, you know, I mean, I'm a writer from a, from a position of small towns and landscape, and uh, the kind of writing of, of the metropolis, uh, of the sort that Jonathan does, and which I admire enormously, uh, it just isn't, isn't my emotional patch, or, and it's not my geographical patch either. So, yeah, for me, the, the work is about physic- figures in landscape. The, the characters' problems are enormous to them, and they're surrounded by an enormity which is impinging on them in ways that they don't understand, and um, which will still be there when they're middle-aged and when they're old and um, it was there before their little problems arrived. You mentioned during the uh, the talk that uh, you thought that music was a much more uh, emotionally moving form of art, much more so than literature. Yeah, I think music is infinitely more potent and more immediate than literature and I suppose I say that as, a, as someone wistfully seeing uh, another cab go by, you know, and my brother's a musician and I admire many musicians. I don't have any, I'm not, I'm not wistful in the sense of I wish I'd been a musician, but that just what you can do to somebody in two minutes as a composer uh, and or a songwriter, from time immemorial really, whether it's the sound of uh, clapping sticks in a didgeridoo or the sound of a cello alone or it's the sound of a an atonal chamber piece. I mean, it's just remarkable what you can achieve immediately. And words just take time. And writing a novel is, you know, is an incremental business as, a, as in the process of writing it. It's incremental in, 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 in how it's read. It takes a while for, for it to build up. Music's the same in the, you know, in the sense of the size and the scale of pieces. But um, Yeah, I mean, it takes you know, time to write a good piece of music. 
Yeah, sure, but it, it takes less time to read, to, to, to hear a piece of music, even if it's, you know, Wagner's Ring cycle, than it, than it takes to read, you know, the average novel. Um, a poem inside two minutes that will break your heart and remake your life, but uh, there's infinitely more pieces of music that, that can... Um, you know, music is so freighted with memory and place and... Um, a kind of a familiarity that links you to, you know, situations. You know, if, if you're away from family and home for for weeks, you know, all, almost everything that you'll be listening to is going to be associated with home. And it's bad enough listening to some music when you are in the in the you know at at the hearth, if you like. But um, yeah, I, I've I learned from several tours ago, you know, particularly in the last couple of weeks of being a, a, a away. Um, but it was just best not, best to, you know, best, best to refrain. And, um, you yeah, know, you do hear music and, and you are affected by it, but you get into a sort of a weird state of, of, of not quite knowing where you are and being a little emotional and naked and um, fall in love with newsreaders, you know, <laughs> or soft toys or small children passing, any, anything that's not to do with writers or publishing or um, airport, you're looking at other people's children on the plane in a way that might disturb some passengers. <laughs> so you try and do that Jesuit thing of practice the discipline of the eyes. Tough it out, it'll be all right. It's not, it's not that bad, but I, I, I really, um, I just do find music, I mean, it's, it's, it's fabulous, but it's, it's like a film with a, you know, with a soundtrack. Sometimes, the, you know, you can, you'll just, you'll just be triggering you know, a piece of music would trigger not just the film, but where you were that week and who you're with. And um. what about just taping a whole bunch of upbeat tunes? Oh, that's probably worse. It doesn't matter. It's not. A, it's not a melancholy piece of music necessarily that's going to undo no. me. You know, it's just the, the uh, memory. Yeah, it's what it means, and um, it's all the all the freight, all the all the baggage, all the stuff that's, that attaches to it. That that uh, I mean, it, it can even. It's not just music. I mean, it's the olfactory senses are probably the my my biggest thing so many books that you open up and you can you can smell the classrooms of your childhood and the kid who sat next to you and peed himself on the first day of grade one you know all that sort of stuff um, whatever it is but yeah no that music music landscape memory you know it's all that soup that we swim in you have a wife and children I assume yep yeah, I have uh, one of the former and three of the latter could walk down the streets of Toronto and no one would recognize you that's that's a good thing about being abroad for me that's that is that's the truth so it's it's nice to be uh, anonymous in another place so that's that definitely but then i'm not doing much walking down the streets of toronto i'm traveling in a sort of a, a kind of road show it's like i've joined a cult <laughs> cult's a good word for it it has all the all the all the cozy and all the chilling connotations but i think i think that's i mean you'd like to th- think that uh, in terms of the business of reading and writing that um, that you're part of a community but uh, every now and again you do think that you might be in the compound at Waco <laughs> and somebody's somebody's got the gasoline drums out and someone else has got the lighter you just haven't quite picked out who each of them are and where they are in the building I can relate I mean I've only been at this festival for three days I'm I'm leaving as, as I mentioned uh, this afternoon and I'm even getting a bit tired of talking about books and writing so it must be a, a 
there's a certain thrill, I imagine, the adulation and the recognition and, and uh, feedback and all that stuff, but, but it, it must be difficult to talk to people like me. Um, well, you left me nowhere to go there, mate. It's, uh, no, it's self-consciousness of it that uh, makes it, makes it wearing. It's not the fact that it's about books. And I mean, I, I am interested in books. I mean, I've spent my life doing nothing but write books and read books. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it. There are other things I do and there are other things I love and I have a life apart from books. And, and it is a great, you know, privilege to be able to be part of this and to, to meet people and to, to be introduced to new writers and to understand the politics and of, of the places that you're sort of fleetingly visiting. But, yeah, sometimes there is a point at which you, you're... Um, if I could figure out what the rules of hockey were in this hemisphere, then I'd be thrilled to talk about it, you know. And what's that guy, Don Cherry, what's he on about? Love that guy. Good. Love that collar. Funny thing is that most people that are literary hate him. Was that right? Okay. Well, I've already seen him, and we can't be talking about him on air. But he is a Canadian icon, and uh, one of the things that's so refreshing about him is that he doesn't take the edge off. He's a bit like an Australian. Uh, well, I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> well, I think that was a compliment. But. <laughs> Just one more question about the book itself, The Turning, which is really a series of linked stories, correct? The reading that you did was one of the stories... The way that you folded it down was quite interesting. You know, basically you're going along, you're wrapped up in the lives of these two guys that that are sort of just beginning their adulthood. And then the narrator steps in, which I found to be a sudden jolt, to tell us that one of the boys would die a year later and that the other one would spend the rest of his life in the same old town and get married. And mm. so, and then sort of that, that was the end of the story. It's almost like when you watch a movie and then it ends and then they sort of come back with something that says this character was in prison for this length of time. Uh, can you talk a bit about that technique and you know, other authors you might have admired who used it? Or Well, I, I actually can't think of anybody at the moment, but I, um, I realized a, a way into the story the first time I wrote it that I was writing a, a story which was only ostensibly um, in the present tense. It was a, you know, it was a first-person story, and it, and it seems to, to be told in the present tense. And because I didn't read all the story, uh, there are other, other pieces that you wouldn't be able to... That was only a piece of the story. You, 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 get, this, uh, you get this creeping sense that, that there is m more knowledge to the, to the narrator and there's a little bit more going on than just this immediate relating to what's what's happening what seems to be happening now so it, it slips in, in and out of that essentially what I was doing really I think in the end in the, in the final writing was just fine-tuning what I'd done by, by accident if you like and in a way even though um, no, neither of those characters are specifically related to in the rest of the book they they set a kind of an emotional tone. They set the milieu of the rest of the book. Other people who are mentioned in the book uh, become central to the to the story. A, a couple of uh, incidents from that um, short story then are pivotal to other people's lives. So, in a sense, what's happening in that story is happening in the other stories and in the collection as a whole. That technique's not necessarily used again. Well, it might be you know more than once, but it, 
in a sense, it, be- it becomes a way whereby I can go around the corner and go tangentially into everybody's lives without anybody expecting to. So it's a sort of entering the room by accident, entering the next room, finding yourself in another, another house. You know, it's a, I don't quite know how to explain it, um, except that, that it's the process of writing it is quite similar to the sense that you get surprising as you, as you, as you read, and the writing and the reading are the same. You hear that a lot from authors, is that they really don't know where the story is going to turn, and that's part of the fun of it. Yeah, I, I knew when, you know, where the story was going to end, and I knew I knew I wanted to write about these two characters. But um, yeah, that was yeah. I, as I said before, I'm not I'm not a planner. Um, it would be you know cold bloodedly planning something out and then executing it would be a little like painting by numbers, which isn't to, meant to downplay the kind of work that can be done by that technique because some people do it fabulously. I know that for me, the way I would do it would end up be a form of painting by numbers. I would get bored and then I would change the plan out of perversity. Jonathan Cole, he's been accused of sort of over-controlling his characters, whereas... I guess in real life he's he's not anywhere near like that, but uh, in his writing life he he is. But you'd say that you're more of a let's see where this takes me. Uh, yeah, perhaps that's not. I mean, I'm 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 writing out of a kind of an instinct, um, but uh, you know, it's not as if I don't have some things in mind. I think also Jonathan Coe is writing about a more socially circumscribed world, a more Fixed social world than 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 me because he's from a different culture and uh, there is a kind of steely inevitability um, about um, British culture which is changing and, and, and mutating but it's a, it's only it's only noticeable that it's mutating because of how fixed it's been um, and and that's that's the that, that's why the the British are funny for a start, because they they can do that deadpan. Um, it is it's about how fixed things are and 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 how you move within the within a kind of welded social frame. You know how you, how you transgress that or or how you are ironic um, about. I guess my work and my culture is more, is more more new, more raw. Still a work in progress by comparison. Like Australia being a much younger country. Yeah, you know, an infinitely older continent, and, and in, in terms of its recent incarnation, uh, a much younger uh, culture. You know, there's like all settler cultures. There is a, a lot of energy. There's brutality. There's verve. There's a, there's there's opportunity, even if it's not always pretty to see it seized. But there is the sense that someone like me, at least, is in the oppo- is in the position of being able to feel as though they're taking a more open path than if I was from Western Europe or Russia or perhaps China, even where there are places where you, it, it's, things seem infinitely done done so many times, done forever. It can be bewildering as to where to go. You know, you feel like you're always in someone else's footprints. To be a human, that, that, that's true to any, anybody, but if, you know, you know, I think it would be harder to be, to be a French novelist and to be an Australian novelist at this point. I'm thinking about a great Australian film called Gallipoli. I think it was one of Mel Gibson's first films, and uh, palmy bashing. Uh, is there is there any of that that uh, goes on in your writing? Well, 
if it's present in the culture, it'll be, I'm sure it'll be, pre it'll be reflected in the writing. So uh, am I spending time deliberately whacking the English? I don't think so, but, you know, life's too short. I mean, obviously there is a complicated feeling about about uh, England from from the convict era, from the disaster of, the, of that we were drawn into in the First World War without any choice with being betrayed by Churchill at the fall of Singapore and being turning our attention and our affection complicated again uh, toward the Americans after you know, imminent invasion by the Japanese. So, you know, it's a deeply conflicted relationship and, you know, it's not something I've written about directly, but you know, I'm sure the people in, in my books would have all the appropriate prejudices. It's interesting, too, that Churchill sent... Canadians to Dieppe as cannon fodder. I mean, we deal with similar conflicted feelings, of course, you know. I want to turn our attention to your library. I wonder if you could tell us about your bookshelves. I guess I've spent years with pine planks and house bricks as a way of storing books, and I was lucky enough to um, be able to have a library built for the first time. But maybe it's just... It's something that, you know, probably every middle-aged man's going to do once. Or well, a middle-aged man of a certain tragic sort is going to do once and probably regret it. And when I'd moved into the house I'm living in, I'd bought the salvaged timbers from a hundred-year-old jetty or pier or whatever that whatever the word is that you, you use here. The wood was Jarrah, which is the local West Australian mahogany, a very beautiful, very hard red wood. I, I, I needed three or four hundred metres of timber and, I, and it just felt better not to have caused the, the felling of any more trees. And so I managed to salvage this, this jetty 